Hey, I'm Mitchell Holmes, and I am the Children's Director at our Waterford location. Thank you so much for checking out this message. We're glad you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way that you can do that is by texting the word River Connect to 97000. That's River Connect, all one word, to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount that you'd like to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click on the Giving tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are ending today our series on the book of Revelation. And John's vision, the author of the book of Revelation, his vision of the end of the world and the end of all things is coming to an end. And it is a fitting conclusion to the end of Scripture. And so we're going to pick up in Revelation chapter 22 in verse number 6 and 7. We'll start there. The Bible says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, if you want to kind of see the bookends of the book of Revelation, you can hold your spot in Revelation 22 and go back to Revelation chapter number 1. And you'll see the very beginning of the book kind of have, again, a bookend. At the end, here we are at the beginning, Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now you go back to chapter 22, and you see John coming to the conclusion here of an epic journey that he has been on. He has seen the glorified Christ on the island of Patmos. Jesus has appeared to him. And Jesus says, I want you to write what you see, and I want you to write it in a book and send it to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And so in chapter 2 and 3, we see those seven churches. And from there, John is called by a voice into heaven, come up and see these things. And so he is transported in the Spirit to the throne room of God. And there in the next couple chapters, in chapter 4 and 5, he sees the glorified Christ. He sees the throne of God. He sees the angels singing to God. But he also sees that his world is in despair. And so he sees in the hand of God the scroll, the plan of God, who will execute the plan of God to bring justice and righteousness and redemption to a broken world. And so John says, I began to weep. And a mighty angel said to me, essentially, stop, weep no more, because there is one who is worthy. And John sees Christ envisioned there as a lamb slain, but risen again. And the lamb goes to the hand of God and he takes the scroll. And here's what's really important about the book of Revelation. Everything that transpires proceeds from the throne of God. There has never been a moment on planet earth. There's never been a moment in history. And there has never been a moment in your life where God has not been securely seated on the throne of the universe. He sits secure. He is king of kings and Lord of Lords. As we just sang a moment ago, we, in our hearts, we sing out all hail King Jesus, who was and is and is to come. And so John there in Revelation 22, after seeing all that transpires, 
in heaven and on earth, the coming judgment, characters like the Antichrist and the destruction of the Antichrist and the false prophet and all of those things. He says these words, and he's quoting an angel who's speaking to him, that angel who's kind of been his tour guide, if you will. These words, what you've seen, what you write, what you hear, are trustworthy and true. Are trustworthy and true. And God has made this known to you. And he begins to use this word. He says, what must soon take place? And then Jesus speaks. And behold, Jesus said, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Look over to verse number 12 there. Jesus is speaking. He says, behold. That word behold, we don't often use that word, but it's an attention grabber. It's, hey, behold. Like everyone lock in, focus in. Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon. And then now at the end of verse number 20, the scripture says, he who testifies to these things says, it's interesting as I was reading this this morning, kind of wrapping up a few things, I realized that this is at least sequentially the final words of Jesus recorded in the Bible. Like these are his, his last words, if you will. And he says, surely, Like it's another way of behold, or sometimes you'll see it in the King James, verily, verily, or in the ESV or other translations, you'll see truly, truly. So it's it's an attention grabber. It's an announcement. Something that's going to follow is very important, very profound. And so he says, behold, I am coming soon. Behold, verse number 12, I am coming soon. Now in verse number 20, surely. If you remember maybe Psalm 23 Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word surely is the word confidence. I'm confident. I am, I am assured. I have faith. I believe. I, it's trustworthy and true. Jesus says, surely, I am coming soon. So here in Revelation, the book ends with this climactic declaration that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus is returning. Now, Jesus talked about this throughout his ministry. If you want to hold your spot in Revelation, you can go to the left to just a couple passages. First one is in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. While you're turning there, in a sermon that we know or call the Olivet Discourse, And that's a fancy name. Really, it's kind of a little distracting, I suppose. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and he's teaching. So he's giving a discourse or a sermon. So that's why it's the Olivet Discourse. Jesus says there to his disciples as he's sitting on a hillside with a panoramic view of Jerusalem in front of him. Jesus says, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus is answering some questions to the disciples about his return, about judgment, about the destruction of the temple, all of those different things. John chapter 14, just a few days after the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is sitting with his disciples. It's the, what we know as the Last Supper. It's the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. This is the Passover meal. And Jesus is beginning to tell the disciples some very uh, troubling things. And so he says in John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. It's almost as if Jesus is answering a question, Are my words trustworthy and true? Have, have I proven myself to be reliable? So let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus has is, is told them about his death. He's told them about his resurrection from the dead. But he said, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to prepare a place 
for you. And then I will come again and I'll receive you to myself and we'll be together. Where I am, you will be also. So last week we looked at Revelation chapter 21 and the dwelling place of God descends to earth. So the dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of man become one And that is what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 14. For a little bit, we're going to be separated, but for eternity, we're going to be together. I will come again to you. Flip over a little bit to the right to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 1. So keeping in context here, so Jesus has died at this point. He's risen from the dead. He's appeared to the disciples in multiple places at multiple times. They've eaten with him. They've touched him. Thomas has examined the wounds in Jesus' hands and in his side. He calls out to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Now in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 6, Jesus is sitting on another hillside. Um, The Mount of Olives again. Verse number one, or excuse me, verse number six. So when they had come together, this is the disciples and Jesus, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So here's the declaration. Guys, there's going to be some mysteries that you won't know, but here is your mission. Here's the task that I'm setting you on. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they were. Judea, the region surrounding Jerusalem, Samaria, a different culture just to the north and to the ends of the earth. When Jesus finished those words, verse 9, when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So this is the, what we call the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And while they were gazing into heaven... Sometimes I mock the disciples for gazing into heaven, but what else are you going to do in this case? Like, Jesus was sitting there, he was talking, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. This is just my version. Peace. And then Jesus just ascends into heaven, and a cloud takes him out of their sight. And they just are staring into heaven like, okay. Like, they're just kind of, it seems that they're staring in heaven for a little bit, Verse 10, while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. We believe these to be angels. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So in miraculous glorious fashion accompanied by the clouds. We saw that as we read it a moment ago in Matthew 24. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. So a spectacular, visible sight. Jesus has ascended into heaven and the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven, the angel said, you need to realize that he is also coming back in the same glorious, miraculous, amazing way. You need to know that. So you start to proceed through the New Testament. And you see that for believers, there has been, since the moment Jesus ascended into heaven, there has been anticipation that Jesus is returning. One of the dilemmas that happens, though, is the confusion or the conflating of the way Jesus came the first time and the way Jesus will come the second time. So I want you to go back to Revelation and Revelation chapter number 19. While you're turning there, the first time Jesus came in John chapter 3 and verse number 17, Jesus said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus' first coming, 
He was on a mission to pay the penalty for sin. He was sent by God to satisfy the righteous, just demands of a holy God for the the consequences of sin. Not his own sin, but the sins of mankind. So Jesus came and he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, he did give his life as a ransom for many. And he declares, it is finished. It is paid in full. And Jesus died and he was buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead, never to suffer again. It was a a sacrifice that was good enough once for all time. Now, the next time Jesus comes, Revelation chapter 19, this is the same Jesus. Now, I think taking those words from Acts 1, remember those in your mind. The angels said to the disciples, this same Jesus, now not a different Jesus, but this same Jesus will come in in spectacular fashion. Here it is, Revelation chapter number 19, in verse number 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. So the first time Jesus came, he came riding on a donkey, humble, peaceful. He came on a mission of peace. Here now he is riding a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns, And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Meaning they could curse the name of Jesus, but there is a name that Jesus, only he knows himself. That is, cannot be cursed, cannot be drugged through the mud. Verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus' triumphant return. Here's what you need to understand. You can go to Revelation chapter 22. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is returning. Here in Revelation 22, it will say it several times very clearly. Verse number 7, I want you to see this word. Behold, Jesus said, I am coming soon. Verse 10. He said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Verse 12. Behold, Jesus said, I am coming soon. Verse 20. Excuse me, verse 12. Now verse 20. Surely I am coming soon. Look at chapter 22, verse number 6. Last phrase there. Has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Hold your spot in Revelation 22. Go to Revelation chapter number 1. Verse number one, just a phrase there in the middle of the verse. John says, the things that must soon take place. Verse number three, last phrase. For the time is near. Verse number seven. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. So we see Jesus is coming with the clouds. He is coming soon. Look at verse 8. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and here it is, and who is to come. Paul says to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4, 5, the Lord is at hand. James says in James chapter 5, verse 8, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now go back to Revelation 22. How do we know 
that, okay, Jesus says he is coming, and Jesus says he is coming soon. How can we rely on that? Verse 6 again, these words are trustworthy and true. Well, why are they trustworthy and true? Look at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. So what's Jesus saying here? These words are trustworthy and true because I am trustworthy and true. So Jesus said, I am coming back and I am coming back soon. Now hold your spot in Revelation 22 and go to the left to the book of uh, 1 Peter. Excuse me, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. So the moment Jesus left there on the Mount of Olives, there was anticipation for believers of the return of Jesus. Not the possible return of Jesus, but the guaranteed return of Jesus. What does John do? John tells us what that return will look like, what events will precede the return of Jesus, and what the return of Jesus will look like. But it's been 2,000 years. Humanly speaking, 2,000 years doesn't fall into my definition of soon. Right? That's pretty much what my honeydew list sounds like. Here's the whole list. I'll get to that soon. It's been 2,000 years. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 3 and 4, and then we'll jump down a little bit. Peter says this in verse 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? The scoffing is, okay, Jesus said he was coming back. Where is he? You bunch of lunatics. Why do you believe in that? I mean, it's been a minute. Skip down to verse number eight. Peter says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So the, the timeline and time in general and its relationship to the Lord is substantially different than us. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. So two, two kind of people, two, two groups of people, the two groups of people are being addressed here. People that believe in the return of Jesus and are longing for the return of Jesus. What do we see it referred to as there in verse 9? A promise. John calls it trustworthy and true. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have this promise from Almighty God made to you that Jesus is returning. The King is coming. For believers... That is the great hope. But look at who is addressed here, the the scoffers, those who are in rebellion against God. So God's not slow to fulfill the promise, but what is God doing? Verse nine, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God is being, God has made this promise. You can have faith in the promise that God has made, but God's, Patience or God's perceived delay of his return is his patience towards sinners, patience towards those who are in rebellion against him. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? 
because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we're waiting for the return of the king when the dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of man will become one. Judgment will be uh, uh, distributed Right will reign, evil will be destroyed. We're waiting for that promise. But in the meantime, let me say it this way. In the meantime, some of you are here waiting for that promise and some of you are delaying repentance to a holy God because you believe, I don't really know if he's coming. And again, God's perceived delay is his patience towards you. It's, it's the word that I like in a more classical sense, his long-suffering nature to you and to me. In that day when all of this will be burned and dissolved and the heavens will pass away with a roar, the Bible says we'll come like a thief in the night. It's not going to be this grand announcement. It will be the shocking event that happens. A thief comes without a, an announcement. And we see these warnings throughout the Bible. Noah gets a message from God, build an ark. In 120 years, I'm going to destroy the earth. And so what does Noah do? He believes God and he gathers his sons together, begins to build this massive boat to save his family and to save a portion of creation. Meanwhile, he is a herald of righteousness. He's building and providing through God's design a mean of salvation and he's heralding, hey, rain is coming, a flood is coming, judgment is coming. And what did people say? Noah, you've been saying that for 50 years. You old kook. 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, and 100 years, the skies open up, the earth breaks into pieces, and a flood comes, and those people go, man, he was right. And it was too late. It was too late. Moses goes to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Plague after plague after plague after plague after plague comes. False repentance. Let me put it in our context. God says, stop doing that, repent, and believe and follow Jesus. And we go, I don't really want to do that. I like my life. And then a bad thing happens. And we're like, okay, I won't do that anymore. But there's no real repentance. There's no godly sorrow. We're not sorrowful for the sin. We're sorry we got caught. And so Pharaoh, over and over again, gives this false lip service to repentance against God until it is too late. His son on the 10th plague, Pharaoh's son is dead. All the firstborn in Egypt are dead And he lets the people go, but he really doesn't mean it then because shortly thereafter, he dispatches the army and they chase them to the Red Sea. What does God do? He opens up the sea. The people of God pass through and then that very sea that was salvation for the people of God becomes judgment on the armies of Pharaoh. Jesus is coming soon. And any sort of perceived delay is his patience, but you can be certain of his promise because it is trustworthy and true. Go to Revelation 22. The Lord Jesus is returning soon. So what? What's that mean? When I was a kid, I've told you this story before. When I was a kid, I was uh, in fifth grade, and we watched this movie called Thief in the Night. If you ever watched that movie, uh, we have a support counseling group uh, (laughs) that I lead. 
But I remember fifth grade, it was a, it was a movie made, I think, in the 70s. I don't want to belittle the people who made it. I don't know anything about them. But it was this movie made about uh, the, the rapture and then people being left behind and, um, you know, all of these different things. And I remember watching it in fifth grade, and it rocked my life. Like, I'm talking years of terror. And it's, it's laughable now until like last year when I found a copy of it and tried to watch it and couldn't. That's right. I'm a 42-year-old loser. I just I couldn't do it. I was fast-forwarding. I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't a big deal. And then I saw the thing that I remember as a kid, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, it, it's bad. It's, it's real bad. But the return of Jesus... And any sort of event from Revelation was a, was a terrifying thing for me as a kid and, and stuck with me for a long time. To a follower of Jesus, Revelation is not meant to be used as a fearful thing to you. It is meant to be a joyous Longing, as we'll see here in a moment, that Jesus is coming soon, and that's a promise that is trustworthy and true. Look at Revelation chapter 22, and I want, I want to show you, woven through here is all of these things that we are to do in response to Jesus coming, is his, Jesus' promise of his return. Verse number 6. So these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits, the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Meaning what? You read it and then you submit to the scripture. Jesus said, someone who hears the teaching of Jesus, and he says it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, the person who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise person who builds his house on the rock. Rain comes, wind comes, and the house stands firm. Well, what's the wind and the rain? It's not difficulty in life. The wind and the rain is the judgment of God. And you see allusions to this back to the story of the Exodus. The night before the 10th plague, they sacrificed a lamb and they painted the blood on the the doorpost of their home. And that's what stopped the judgment of God. It was the blood of the spotless lamb that was painted on their doorpost that kept them from it. Noah was in the ark. The door was shut. You were either in the ark and saved or you were on the outside. God's salvation, God's judgment. Jesus said, the person who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise person who builds his life on the rock. Judgment comes and he stands firm. But a person who hears these words of mine and goes, man, that's really inspiring, but doesn't do them, it's like a foolish person walks down to the beach, decides, hey, this sand is a firm foundation. I'll build my house here. Wind and rain comes, erosion, storms. The house is it just flat. The fall is great, Jesus says there at the end of verse number seven. James says it this way, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And then the warning deceiving your own selves. You can hear the word, and I'm glad you hear the word. But hearing the word and then not doing what the word says is foolish, and you are set up for a great catastrophic fall. Jesus is returning soon. 
So what does the scripture say there in verse 7? Keep his words. Obey his words. Look at verse number 8. John says, I, I'm the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. So it seems like a pretty natural human response. He's so overwhelmed. This angel is magnificent, majestic, strong, has shown him all of these different things. So John falls down maybe in exhaustion, maybe in just like awe. He falls down, he begins to worship the angel, but the angel said to him, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Look at angels here. This is not a fallen angel, so a demon. This is a holy angel in faithfulness to God. He says, whoa, 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 get up. You don't worship me. He says, I want you to understand who we are. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and all those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So Jesus is coming soon. Obey the word of God. Jesus is coming soon. Worship God. Look down at verse number 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So don't seal up this book. And this is an illusion. You can put this in your notes and check it out later. Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 4. Daniel is given a vision of the end times. And Daniel is told to seal up the book because this is not for right now. This is for later. John is told after seeing all of these cataclysmic events and the end of the world and judgment and the return of Jesus and the new heaven and the new earth and and all of that. He says, don't seal this up. This is for right now. So Jesus is coming soon. What, what's the, the kind of the, what we need to do in verse number 10? Spread the message that Jesus is returning. Jump over to verse number 18. So we spread the message, and here's a warning not to change the message. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So what's the scripture telling us to do? Jesus is coming back. Spread the message. Jesus is coming back. Don't you dare change the message. I think as I was studying this week, it was really helpful what James Hamilton, professor at Southern Seminary, had to say about this passage of Scripture. Jesus is coming back. Don't change the message. Don't alter the message. Don't dodge difficult things about the message. Don't add things that aren't there and don't subtract things. That is in the book of Revelation, but it's applicable to the entirety of Scripture. So as a pastor, I'll make it personal about myself, A pastor's responsibility is to proclaim, teach the whole counsel of God. To not avoid things when they're difficult. To not avoid things when they're confrontational. To speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. So Jesus is coming back. Spread the message. Jesus is coming back. Don't change the message. Look at verse number 12. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. In verse number 11, you see the idea of an evildoer. That's what you are. Go ahead and live it up. Righteous, do right. You're holy, still be holy. Jesus is coming back. What's that mean? Rescue is coming and judgment is coming. What's always amazed me about the book of Revelation is verse number 17 and verse number 20. So, one of the things that I try to avoid doing when I read or when I teach through the book of Revelation is to take the current news of the day and, and s- kind of smash that together with the book of Revelation. That's not to insult people who try to see prophetic events and, and things throughout the scripture or, or in you know, the scripture, what's happening in the scripture in the current day trying to insult that at all. But for me, I I try to parse those out. I try to separate those. But let's just imagine that um, John is getting a vision 
2,000 years ago, he's getting a vision of 2023. Just, just imagine that. And he sees the world in 2023. Just, just imagine the technology he's seeing. Or the things he would have to try to describe. Right? Even just over 100 years ago, you had the Wright brothers going for a short flight, and it, and it just changed the world right? in the last century. Rewind 2,000 years ago. Everything's flying around. There's drones. There's people in planes. All right, what's this thing you're holding in your hand? Oh, that's a cell phone. My gosh, from the devil himself. Uh, right? just, just, just imagine the technology of what he would see, right? And we don't know that. We don't know if the Lord's coming back this year or next year or in 100 years. And anybody who tells you they know, run away. What you can say definitively is the Lord is coming back soon. Well, how do you know it's soon? Because the Bible says it's soon. And our version of soon might, is different than God's version of soon. But it's still soon. But verse 17 and verse 20 have always amazed me. John sees all of these different things. He sees the Antichrist and the false prophet, and he, and he sees these nations rise and war and judgment and so on and so forth. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride so the Holy Spirit and the bride, meaning the people of God, the church, come and let the one who hears say, come. Look at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. What's John's response to Jesus' promise? Amen. Like, so be it. Yes. And then he says, come, Lord Jesus. How can someone see all of the catastrophe of Revelation and still say, bring it on? Seems kind of crazy. Maybe a little sadistic. Only if you see it from a human standpoint and not from the throne of God. That God is securely on his throne. That the lamb was slain that the lamb has risen and he has taken the scroll from the hand of God and he has broken the seals and everything that is happening is proceeding from the throne of God. And then he sees Jesus return on the white horse and he sees the rescue for all of God's people and he sees the judgment, he sees evil dealt with and he finally sees Satan destroyed and temptation is over with and greed is gone and lust is over with and sin is dispatched and done and we have been purified, we've been washed and the dwelling place of God becomes the dwelling place of man and John is like, yes, come Lord Jesus. Because that is the longing of his heart. In Luke chapter 21, Scripture says, Now when these things, Jesus is speaking here, begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, after talking about the return of Jesus, Paul says, Therefore, like because of these things, encourage one another with these words. The prayer of David, whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? The longing for a real believer is to be with Jesus because we understand that at his right hand is pleasure forevermore. In his presence is the fullness of joy. And so we long to be with Jesus. Nothing in this world compares to the joy of being with Jesus. And so that's why John sees all of these terrible things happening and then he sees the wonderful ending and he's like, yes, come Lord Jesus. He believes in the promise of Jesus' return. And he is confident that Jesus is returning to rescue him. So he's like, come. Come, Lord Jesus. I think for me, and maybe you, you can empathize with this, maybe you're different than me on this. 
But I think for a long time in my life, I, I didn't want Jesus to come back till I hit like certain benchmarks in my life. And I think there's just, you know, some immaturity in my own heart about that. But I also think some of it comes down to how much I love the world. I live a pretty good life. You're telling me heaven's going to be that much better? Like, okay. And when you read the scripture, you go, oh my goodness. It's to be with Jesus. To be done with sin. To be done with brokenness. To be done with tears. To be done with death. To be done with pain. Come, Lord Jesus. What's the Bible telling us? He's coming soon. And we ought to be worshiping God with a great thrill in our heart, knowing that today might be the day we stand before the Lord. Tomorrow might be the day we stand before the Lord. And if you're a believer, that's like, remember being a kid? Christmas? Going to sleep? Maybe you're still like that. Maybe it's the hot, never mind. Sorry, I was going to spill a Christmas secret there. There are children here. Maybe it's the snacks that I ate before I went to sleep. Remember that excitement and that anticipation that the next day was going to be the best day ever? Tomorrow could be the day we stand before the Lord. And all the wrongs will be made right. And we'll be in the presence of Jesus. We'll be transformed. The fight with sin will be over. So what do we pray? Come, Lord Jesus. Come. We affirm that. Please hear me. Unless Jesus is not coming as a rescue, but Jesus is coming in judgment for you. To believers, Jesus is our friend. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. His perfect love casts out fear. But if you have not repented of your sins and believed in Jesus, then Jesus comes as the righteous judge. And you will not be spared. So Romans 10, 9 says, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. What are we saved from? We're saved from the righteous fury of a holy God. You can be saved from that by calling on the name of the Lord. I'm going to ask you, if you will, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord. Right here, right now, in the quiet of this moment. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That is a trustworthy and true statement because it is from the Lord himself. You can be saved by calling on the name of the Lord. Turning from sin and believing Jesus died and rose from the dead. It's a surrender of all that you are to him. That's the good news of the gospel, the good news that you can be saved from the rightful consequences of your sin, the righteous judgment of our sin. You can be saved from that. Maybe you're here and you are 
deceived. I was praying this morning, and maybe this is for someone here, maybe it's for someone watching online. There's a story that Jesus tells a parable that when the seed of the gospel falls on someone's heart, the soil of their heart, Satan, like a bird, will quickly swoop in to take that seed away so that it does not find root. Maybe as you hear the gospel this morning, you're a churchy person, you're a religious person, or you've had, an, a, you've had some sort of profession of faith in your life, but the reality is you're deceived and there is the still small voice of the Lord in your heart that is calling you to repentance. That's calling you to believe. It's calling you to be saved for the very first time for real. Maybe that's you. Maybe your mom and dad think you're a believer. Maybe your husband or your wife thinks you're a believer. Maybe I think you're a believer. But the truth is, you've never surrendered to the Lord. Rather than choosing to continue to go on in self-deception, my hope and my prayer for you is that you will have an authentic moment with the Lord and you'll surrender to Him and be renewed, be transformed, be born again. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your promise to return. And we know that you will because you have said it and you are trustworthy and true. God, I pray for great comfort and confidence for believers here in your return, the hope that it brings. God, I pray for the fear of the Lord that will lead to the beginning of knowledge for some here that do not know you. Please rescue them, Lord. In Jesus' name.